conviction, which is my money is a trust from God and must be earned and managed according to scriptural principles. I believe that this is one area where Satan has really tried to hurt the church in the area of trying to come into financial victory and prosperity. And it's because, basically, he has lied to the church and made them believe that it's better to be poor so that you can remain humble. To believe that this world is not our home. It's not our home, but God said he wants to prosper us and to make all grace abound toward us, that we, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. But at the same time, he says there are scriptural principles and that we are to operate in. And if we'll operate in scriptural principles, we can expect, expect eventually in God's perfect timing, for prosperity to come to us. It will come to us if we'll operate according to God's economy. So we have been proceeding on that subject. First of all, we talked about my, my money is a trust from God, first of all. Then the second part of it was it must be earned according to scriptural principles. And then last week we started on the fact that it must be, what? Managed according to scriptural principles. And we said that there are three basic factors determining financial freedom. The first one is giving. That is not second, that's first. You give, and then you get. Give, and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together. Second, receiving. Receiving from different avenues, but God is your source. He is your ultimate source. And third, spending. You know, it's one thing to pray for God to send money to you. It's another thing to operate with that money, operate with those material things in a way that's pleasing to the Lord and in accordance with his word so we can expect his blessing to be upon us. We said, first of all, the first decision we need to make is to transfer the ownership of all of our possessions, all of our talents, all of our abilities to the Lord. I make you Lord of all of it. Show me what to do, how to do it, when to do it, where to do it. I simply want to walk in obedience to you. I am your servant, Lord. That's the beginning point when it comes to spending. Not, as some people say, the tithe is the Lord's. I believe that, all the tithes are the Lord's. But the Bible says everything is the Lord. He gives you everything that you possess. Everything that you are comes from him. You are to return, as a declaration of his ownership, the tithe to him, but the rest is not yours to do with as you would, but rather to say, Lord, how would you have me to use that which remains? And then get direction from him. And let me tell you something now. A lot of times that direction comes to you, you'll want to rebuke Satan because it won't sound like it's logical to you. But if you'll get God's mind in these matters, God will begin to speak to you, and he might bring you back up here to number one again and says, I want you to give, but Lord, I want to get. Well, give. And you'll get into a real struggle there for a while until you begin to realize that he, what he's saying is, I want to make sure you say it's mine. Let's see if it is. Give this to somebody. Give that to somebody. And if it's his, you're not giving anything away anyway. If it's yours, then you're in trouble. And he'll prove you to see whose things these really are. I know that that's the way he operates. Second, establish. I didn't say try. I said establish the time. Determine that that will always be brought back to the Lord. 
The moment you don't, God says that you are cursed with a curse, and it, you're not going to get out from under until you become into obedience in that area. More Christians get into deep trouble because they have never settled it once and for all that the tithe is the Lord's. Now, I couldn't care less whether you pay, return your tithe or not for myself. I'm not going to get that benefit out of it, but I do for your sake. This is something that my wife and I established in our own lives long before we ever met each other, and we can tell you beyond any shadow of a doubt it pays to be obedient in the tithe. Establish that once and for all. There have been times when we could not pay other bills, but we returned the tithe. And God always honors us. And we'll get into more of that later on. Third, be expecting to witness every day for the Lord. Find, ask the Lord to help you to find someone to whom you can witness. Now you say, what's that got to do with prosperity? I said last week, the scripture says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. There are many Christians who say, well, when I get my finances straightened out, then I'm going to start really witnessing and serving the Lord. When I get this paid off and that paid off, then I'm going to, then I'm going to just find a ministry where I can go out and minister. No, you've got the cart before the horse. You are to be a daily witness the moment you get up in the morning in your home, outside the door, where you work, where you play. You're to be a witness everywhere you go, sharing Jesus Christ. And in the midst of it, God says, you take care of my business, I'll take care of your business. You know, God's very orderly. And if you don't want to work according to his order, it just isn't going to work. Have you ever hooked up a fan backwards? It might turn for a while before it burns out, but you're not going to get much. I started to put a ceiling fan the other day in my study, and my wife says, are you sure the blades go that way? I said, yeah, that's the way the blades go. She says, well, how do you know? I said, well, if I put them the other way, we'll dust the ceiling off. So you've got to get the blades the right direction on that fan, and God says, if you want the flow of God's blessing to be in your life, get the blades in the right direction. Put them in order. And he says, you give and you'll receive. Now, we wanted to talk today about don't buy on credit. Don't buy on credit. Get out of debt altogether. And the definition of debt, the definition of debt is money, goods, or services owed to other people with payments past due. I'll say that again. Money, goods, or services owed to other people with payments past due. Would you turn to Romans, the 13th chapter, please? Romans 13, 8. Romans 13, 8. Here is a scriptural principle. Will you read that verse with me? Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. All right? Owe no man what? Anything. I put a mark down from my verse. I underscored that, and I put a line down at the bottom of the page. And in the Living Bible, it says, pay all your debts. And I put down on the bottom of the page in my Bible, I claim this June 28, 1975. I claim this June 28, 1975. Beverly and I had, just before that, come into the experience of receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we began to walk into a lot of new truths, and I was confronted with this truth that Christians are not to get in debt to where it hurts their testimony. And when that truth came to us, I want you to know that I had a stack of credit cards about that thick. I had been in business before, and I traveled everywhere with credit cards, did everything I wanted to do with credit cards. 
And when we moved to Florida and started working and started this little church, the businesses that I thought the Lord was going to let me start down here did not start, and so I was just in the church. And our income was, to say the least, it was not substantial enough to support us. For 18 months, it was $15 a week, and then it went to, for the next 12 months, I think it was $50 a week, and then it went to, I think, $75 and $100 or whatever. But during that time, we were trying to exist. And I didn't know about biblical principles, and I did, had not learned at that time really how to believe God to be my source. And so we would live from our credit cards. And I can still remember Beverly telling me that on one credit card alone, we had gone the limit. We were $1,500 in debt, and another one we were $500-some in debt. And all these credit cards were just heaped up on us, and we were trying to exist, making as much payment on them as we could and still live, and when Christmas time came around, we wanted to buy gifts and we didn't have money. We would say, well, we got the credit cards yet, so we'd go out and we'd try the credit cards again. And God convicted us of it that day. We knelt down in the living in the, in the study and we took our credit cards and wrapped them all up and said, God, that has been, become sin and we don't want that in our lives anymore. And in the name of Jesus, we confess to you that we'll not use them anymore. We're going to put them away and we're going to believe you to get us out of this mess. Now, if you don't think that's rough, if you've been existing on credit cards and suddenly not only cut it off, but now you've said you won't use them anymore and you've still got to exist and you've got to make the payments on those things, let me tell you, it's rough. What you sow, you reap. Beverly and I have worked and worked and worked at those things and tried to, at Christmas time, boy, she's had her sewing machine going 100 miles an hour, making everything she can for, for Christmas gifts with her hands. And we've tried to make gifts for each other with our hands. Instead of going out and spending money, we've done that. And I want to announce and praise the Lord that on October, in October of 1980, we paid off our last credit card. Took over five years. $3 here, $5 here, $10 there, just pecking, pecking, and pecking away at it. And they'd call and say, look, you've got to pay this credit card bill down. I said, hey, just check and see when the last time was we spent anything on that thing. They said, well, it's been about two, two and a half years. I said, that's right. I want to tell you right now, God's convicted us. We did wrong by getting too far in debt, and we will not be charging any more on it. So if you'll stay off my back, you'll get paid off, and you're getting the interest on it. But we're having to learn a hard lesson here, and we're getting out of debt because God told us to. Oh, oh, okay. Can't tell you how thrilling it was when Beverly said, I just sent the last check to pay off the last credit card. Now what do you think we're getting? Letters saying, why don't you use your credit card? Why, we want you to know that your value is, I mean, you can go clear up to this amount and you can spend whatever you want to. We just sit there and laugh because God has shown us the truth here that we're supposed to get out of debt. Now, I realize that there are some cases where men are in business and they use them for bookkeeping purposes, where they pay them off at the end of the month, and that's an, that's an essential thing. But I thank God that we finally have gotten that thing off of our back completely, and we buy cash. Now, we're in debt. Oh, are we in debt in our property. But let me go on to say that we're really not in debt. And we'll talk more about that later on when we talk about what constitutes debt. If you own a piece of property and you have a mortgage on that property, you don't owe somebody something. They, they actually are holding something worth more than what you owe them if you put a down payment on it at all. And right now, a house certainly is not a depreciating factor. If you own a house, let's say that you've put $5,000 or $10,000 into a house and you're making payments on it, they've got, you've already got $10,000 of your money in that house and it's being paid for, 
And if you ever had to sell it and come out of it, you could pay them off and still be out of debt. So what they're actually doing is just allowing you to pay them off on a time basis on something that's not depreciating. We'll talk about depreciating and non-depreciating factors later on. Now, right now, Beverly and I have placed that front property out there for sale because we want to get that off of our back. We want to get out of debt, and we know it's coming. We know we're going to be out of debt, and we know that God's going to cause prosperity to come because we want to operate according to his principle. And if you do it, he will bless you. That's why I encourage Christians to always try to buy on a cash basis. Here are the reasons for buying with cash. First of all, when you go into debt for things, it violates Scripture. The Scripture here says that we're to owe no man anything but love. It violates Scriptures. The second thing is, it produces bondage. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The borrower is the servant of the lender. The borrower is the servant of the lender. Proverbs 22, 7. Now, if you don't believe that, I believe someone said one time that if God today, in most churches, if God called someone to go somewhere and do something, they couldn't do it until they got the permission of the banker. They are the servant of the banker. Can't leave because my car's all in hock, my furniture's all in hock, my house is all in hock, my, you know, everything that I own, I, I'm making payments on. And when you and I presume by financing all these things, we come to the place where we become the servant of the lender. Look at Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter. Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter. I want to read a few verses to you. You know, the New Testament says that Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. How many of you are Gentiles? How many of you have had the curse removed through Jesus Christ? All right, what were some of the blessings that were supposed to come on the children of Abraham and on Abraham? Deuteronomy 28. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do his, all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and what? Overtake you, run you down, hit and run. Okay? He said, these are going to happen to you if you'll obey all my commandments. Now, who's these, who's, who are these promises to? Children of Abraham. Christ hath redeemed me from the curse of the law, being made a curse for me, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the... These are the blessings that can come on us if we're obedient to the Lord. How many of you know that? Let's see what it says. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Now, don't go out and say these blessings are coming on me if we're not obedient to the Lord. Hear me? He makes that stipulation. They'll come on us if we're obedient and hearken to his word. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy storeroom. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? The Lord shall cause thine enemies to, that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. 
The Lord shall command his blessings upon thee in thy storehouses, and in all that thou settest thine hand unto, he, and he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The Lord shall establish thee and holy people unto himself, as he hath sworn unto thee, if, if thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. And all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods, in the fruit of thy body, in the fruit of thy cattle, in the fruit of thy ground, in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to give thee. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven, to give thee the rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. The tail is the part that gets dragged around all the time. You ever felt like the tail? The Lord says, if you'll obey me and walk in obedience to my word and my statutes and my principles, scriptural principles, I'll make you the head and not the tail. They won't drag you around anymore. You'll be the head. Be above only, and thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath. If, if. If, see that I keep marking my ifs in red and circling them, if that thou shalt hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them, and thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day to the right hand or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. Now, does that sound like prosperity to you? Sound like blessings to you? And Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles if we're obedient to him. The third thing about financing and borrowing money is it that it presumes on the future. Look at James, the fourth chapter. James, chapter 4. Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. For you and me to go out and begin to borrow, or borrow money or borrow money to pay for things that we want is presuming on the future. And the next thing is automatic when you do that. It produces pressure and insecurity. I've been in the ministry long enough to know that one of the greatest causes of fights and tension and eventual divorces in married life is in the area of finances. Couples look at their parents' homes and they say, oh, look at all the nice things mom and dad have. That's what we want. And so they'll go into their first apartment or their first little house or whatever you want to call it, cottage, and they just want to deck it from one end to the other with everything new. And then when the bills start coming in and when one of them gets laid off or both of them gets laid off, boom, it all falls in on them and it's your fault. No, it's your fault. You dummy, you shouldn't have done this. I told you you shouldn't have bought that. Now look at the payments. What are we going to do? And the pressures start to come because they're breaking scriptural principles. Listen, I'll tell you something. You can have the greatest blessing of life if the two of you get together and instead of filling your house with early Americans, fill it with early Goodyear, uh, Goodwill Industries or early Salvation Army. 
Go to flea markets. Look in the newspaper columns and, and, and find furniture and fix it up yourself. You know something, as I think about it, some of the things that are dearest to us today, there's, there's a lot of furniture we had when we were new, newly married that we don't have anymore. But when Jody was about ready to be born, I went down to a used furniture store and I found a little old armless rocker and I brought it home and took all the finish off of it and I refinished it and found out it was a cherry rocker. You know, my wife, I think, would sell me before she'd sell that cherry rocker. Just a little old $3 rocker, but it has sentiment, sentimental value to it that she just wouldn't give it up. It's stashed back in the corner of one of our bedrooms. She wouldn't let it go. And you know, when I remember the days that how Beverly used to go buy some fabric for 39 49 59 cents a yard and, and come home and she'd sew a slip cover and drop it over a chair, a chair that we had to take whatever we could, blankets, and fold them up in the cushion because the cushion would come clear down through, you know, and we would take a piece of plywood and stick it across where the springs were. Oh, we didn't have anything fancy, but neither did we have a lot of debt. Young people, let me encourage you, in order to build a strong, stable foundation upon which to grow, don't get married and go out and get in debt for furniture and appliances and all the rest of it. Go find a used appliance. To start with, I can still remember when Beverly and I left evangelism, went up to Minnesota, we didn't have a freezer. I bought a $20 gas stove, and when Beverly first tried to, to uh, charcoal broil some, some uh, lamb shoulder chops, she heard a thud. She opened the oven, and the whole thing had rusted and fallen right down on top of the meat. Still remember that. We wired it back up and kept on going. For our refrigerator and our freezer, if we went down in the basement in Minnesota, at the bottom of the steps, there were some other steps that went up outside. If we wanted things frozen, we set them on the top step next to the outside door. If we just wanted it good and cold, we set it on the, top, the bottom step right next to the basement door, inside basement door. And we lived that way for about a year. I remember it was right after Jeffrey was born, or just before Jeffrey was born, that I was able to first start doing some business in Minnesota. And when Jeffrey was ready to come home from the hospital, I was able to buy Beverly a new refrigerator and a new stove and a new freezer and a washer and dryer. But up till that time, we just didn't have that type of thing. And you know something? We made it. We existed. We came through. Those things didn't make our marriage. Don't let the world sweep you into this idea that you can have anything you want just as long as you pay, pay for it on time. There are some businesses today that trap people into a time payment program. Isn't that a nice television set over there? Yes, ours is kind of act a little bit. Well, look, just give me a dollar down right now. You've already got an account open. Give me a dollar down and let it ride. Don't worry about it. You can have what you want right now. That's the philosophy that's destroying many homes today. How many of you married couples know what I'm saying is true? It does not pay to get into debt. And God says that he'll honor us if we'll stick with the Scriptures. The fifth thing is, it limits God. There are many young couples and older couples too, young people, that go out and grab something new and never stop and say, Lord, do you want me to have this? If you do, I know that you can provide it for me. I know that you can provide. You can, you can find a way to provide it for me, Lord. If you want me to have it, 
and you don't want me to go out and get it, then, then you provide it for me. You can just bring it to me. I remember Bill Gothard talking about a young man that was working with him, and uh, he had said that he was in need of a vehicle. And Bill Gothard said, well, pray about it. About three days later, the young fellow came back and said, I got me a car. He said, you did? He said, did you pray about it? Oh, yeah. yeah. He said, I just knew I needed it, so I just went out and got it. Almost with the idea of, Bill, you don't pray about everything. There's some things you just know you've got to do and you just go do it. Bill says the terrible thing was, the next day a man called me and said, Brother Bill, I have this nice, almost brand new car here. And God spoke to me and said that maybe someone in your ministry there could use it. Is there anyone there that needs a nice car? Bill says, no, I guess there isn't. And in the next week or two, he had two more people call with brand new vehicles. Said, anybody there need a car in your ministry right now? No, I guess they don't. You see, we limit God sometimes because we don't say, Lord, do you really want me to have this? I can give you a good example. I got into deep trouble when I left Minnesota. My wife had a beautiful flare range up there. It had all the stainless steel ovens inside, and we'd almost build it into the kitchen up there. And when we left, you know, I just said, Honey, look, we want to go to Florida. We don't want to haul that big heavy thing all the way to Florida. Let's just leave it with the house, and I'll get you another one when we get to Florida. I didn't know they didn't make them anymore. When I got down to Florida and we started looking for a flare range, there was no such thing as a flare range. And I said, Lord, you know I've got to get a flare range somewhere. I told my wife I was going to get her one. What am I going to do? I started desperately looking in the want ad saying, Lord, please, you show me. If there's any way I could all I can get it, you show me how. And would you believe one time in all the years that I've ever looked in the want ads, one time there was a flare range that came in the newspaper. I went out and looked at it. It wasn't as nice. It was newer, but not as nice as the one we had had. But she was used to the two ovens up above and all the storage space down below and the pull-out burners and so forth. I went out and I purchased that thing, and you know, in the nine years we've been here, I've never yet again seen another flare range for sale, nor have I ever been able to find a store owner that had a flare range or knew where one could be found. Lord helped me out of trouble. He knew I needed one. <laughs> and so I, call, I called on the Lord and said, Lord, help me. I need a flare. I told my wife I was going to get her one. But... Don't limit God in being able to supply your needs. If you really feel, I have a need here, Lord, begin to pray and ask the Lord, first of all, if he wants to supply it through someone to you. If you give, men will give into your bosom. And if it doesn't come that way, then say, Lord, if you have somewhere for me to get this, you show me. And then begin to just casually look through the, the bargain news or look through the newspaper want ads. And you'll be amazed. I don't know how good of a bargain I got this week, but I'll tell you later on. I, I've been asking the Lord for a, a weed eater. Lord, you know, I, in my property down there by the lake and up around all those trees and out in the woods and along the fence, I need a weed eater. I don't just need a little weed eater. I need a weed gobbler. I need a big one, Lord, and I don't know where I'm going to get it. But, Lord, you know I can't afford one right now. So what am I going to do, Lord? Wouldn't you know, the other night I saw an ad in the middle of all these things for sale, a big article. Down in the middle of that thing was a little thing that says, gas-powered weed eater, green machine. Like green machine, those are expensive. I went out and I talked to that man, and I talked to that man while well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I can tell you more about it later. I did get it. I'll tell you more about it later. But uh, uh, God can provide. And I'll tell you later whether I got a good buy or not. <laughs> I don't know. The next thing is God may not want you to have it. 
If you've sought the Lord to see if he's going to give it to you some other way, and you've looked in the want ads, and you've looked in the bargain news, and you've looked every other source you can think of, you might stop and say, Lord, maybe you don't want me to have this. If you don't, you put a check in my spirit. I think I want it, but if you don't want me to have it, then I don't want it. You show me. I can remember a time up in Minnesota years ago when Beverly and I were brought to the awareness of a possible investment that could be made. And these men were so thrilled over the investment they were able to make, and they said, man, it is going to come back like a bonanza. It's just going to run us down with money, and we're going to have money coming out our ears. And when I heard about it, they said, boy, Joe, he says, you've got to get into this. you just got to get a part of this. And I said, oh, man, I came home. I can still remember it. Honey, I don't understand why God does this to us. We ought to be able to refinance this house and go and get this investment. So I went out, and they said, no, it's not a good time right now to refinance your house. And I came over and said, God, Lord, Beverly, why doesn't God let us do these things? Why do we always just have to be right here? You know, why can't we get in these bonanzas? Lord, do you really not want me in it? Don't you want me to have part of this? Why don't you bring me so I was frustrated. A year and a half later, I was on my knees saying, Oh, God, thank you for not letting me get involved in that mess. It turned out as a disaster. And there have been many, many times I just knew God had missed it. I knew God had blown it. Father, wake up, will you? Don't you see what's going on down here? And later to get down and say, God, will you please forgive me? I am so thick. I am so dense. I am so stupid. You were trying to protect me, and I didn't see it. There are times when God doesn't necessarily want you to have something that you think you need, and later on he'll show you why, because he says, my ways are not your ways, and your ways are not my ways. My ways are so far above your ways. If you'll just trust me, you'll find that I'm always right. Number two, in order to come into financial prosperity, you have to start somewhere. And one of those places is to eliminate all the non-essential expenditures. Again, if your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. And there are some people who do not try to limit their expenditures. For example, we've got a little switch on our hot water tank. And whenever we know we're not going to use hot water for a long time, we'll go in and flip the breaker. Now, I don't know how much that saves us, but I know it saves us something. And many times when I get up in the middle of the morning, my family doesn't understand it, but sometimes I'll get up when the first crack of dawn comes, I'll go all the way through the house and shut off all the outside lights. We've had prowlers come on our property so many times, but just as soon as the first crack of dawn comes, I'll go through the house and shut off all the lights. They say, well, you could have waited a little while for that. I said, nah, save a little bit of money here, save a little bit of money there, you know. Find areas of expenditures that you can cut back on. The thermostat. If you can stand a little bit warmer or a little bit cooler, a little bit warmer in the summertime, a little bit cooler in the wintertime, that saves you money, will save you a few dollars. We found out that if we get these ceiling fans put in our house, the initial cost costs us something, but in the long run, you can stand it without air conditioning a lot longer. And you can stand to have your thermostat set lower. And they take very, very little electricity. So that was one of the expenditures that we felt we had to make. Learn how to fix things for yourself. My wife is very unique. Whenever my birthday comes around or Christmas time comes around, for some reason she gets a deep burden to buy me tools and fix-it books. 
and how to repair booklets and all these good things, storing it up, you know. And she, I say, I don't know how to do that. Oh, yes, you do. I got you such and such a book. Oh, I knew it, you know. Fix it yourself. Well, you, you certainly have to learn this way, but again, when you talked about some people coming out on your appliance, for example, to come to your house and just shake your hand and say you forgot to plug it in cost you $55. So first of all, make sure it's plugged in. Now, I've always told people that, and I knew it'd never catch me. In fact, when the man came out, I said, see, it's plugged right into that cord, and it goes right in the closet, and it's plugged in in there. He said, oh, okay. He opened the closet and looked back. He said, but the cord isn't plugged in. Oh, he said, here's your bill, Pastor Webb. Sorry to do this to you. Oh, that was twice. First and last time, boy. From now on, I run my finger all the way up to that wall make sure it's plugged in. But there are ways that you can save expenditures by learning how to fix some of your own things. These are just some areas that if you will be responsible as a steward of God with the things he gives you, it's required of a steward that he be found faithful. And God does not expect us just to let things fly and throw them to the wind and not care about these things. But if we'll be faithful in those areas, then when we get down and say, Lord, I really need your help. I need your instruction. I need your direction in this thing. God will help you. God will direct you in that thing. Now, before I go, just so that you don't all wonder about that green machine, that, that machine, I understand, is supposed to sell for something like $400, and the man was asking $85. When I got there, I found out that the that the gas tank had to be wired onto the, the bracket and uh, that the filter was gone off of it and uh, a few other things weren't hooked up right on the motor and so forth. And when I got through, I was able to walk out of there with that green machine for $35. Now, I may have to spend 50 or 60 or 75 I don't know how much I'm going to spend to get it fixed up, but I feel that I made a good buy. Now, if you see me out there with a hole, hole in weeds, you'll know that I can't get the motor to run at all. But I assumed it did make a spark, and I assumed because the motor was, was, had good compression and so forth, I could turn it over, that I, I think I got myself a pretty good bargain. But if I get it to running, I've got myself a good bargain. If I can't, then I'm going to sell it to Leroy. <laughs> but God wants us to be very, very careful as to how we handle our expenditures in the management of our money for his blessings to be on us. So let's continue to, to realize that God says, I have certain standards and certain regulations and certain ways I feel you should operate, and if you'll do it, then you can expect the blessings of God in your life. We are studying, as you'll remember, the ten scriptural convictions which every man should teach his family in order to protect them from the destructive influences of wrong desires, false philosophies, and satanic temptations. We are on number eight. My money is a trust from God and must be earned and managed according to scriptural principles. Now, if you've seen the other seven above it and you have not heard any of those, we do have a tape ministry, and in that tape ministry... We make tapes available to you, and you're welcome to pick them up at any time. Whenever I get on a series like this, sometimes as I'm going, the Lord just continues to show me more and more things that I need to share with the body. And the ministry of preaching and teaching is line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And as you continue to 
expand on one subject. It doesn't take one verse. You usually cover scriptures from Genesis to Revelation in order to bring out truth. We have been talking about my money is a trust from God, and then we went to the second aspect of it. It must be earned according to scriptural principles. And we checked out what those scriptural principles are. And then we started talking about it must be managed according to scriptural principles. And in that, we brought out three aspects or three factors that have to do with it. And that is, first of all, giving. Given, it shall be given unto you. Second, receiving. When you do give, you can begin to believe that and expect that God's going to give back to you in the same proportion in which you give. Third is spending. And that has to do with managing your money. How do we manage it? First of all, I said transfer all the ownership back over to the Lord. Give him full ownership of it. You remember here in Matthew, the 25th chapter, and verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants. We're not our own. We must recognize that as a conviction. Called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Our possessions are not ours. Our talents are not ours. And when we come to that conviction and say, Lord, everything is yours, everything belongs to you, and begin to operate on that principle, then God can begin to maneuver and manipulate us and bring us into a position of obedience and prosperity in a material way. Second, in order for that to be a reality, you have to come into total obedience and to establish the tithe in your life. The tithe is not yours. None of it is yours. It is a declaration of the ownership of God in your life and that he owns you and everything else. And it's a weekly reminder of that ownership. And he said, if you don't return the tithe to him, that he curses you with a curse. And uh, I, I found out that that is not nice to have in your life, let me assure you. Third, be faithful in your witness every day because the scripture says that if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. When it comes to managing, we need to come under these principles in order to begin to believe that God's blessings can flow to us. If God can't trust us with it, he said, if you, I can't trust you with other people's riches, how can you expect me to trust you with your own riches? If you're not faithful over that which is little, I can't make you faithful over that which is much. So in... In the area of transferring ownership or understanding, excuse me, transfer ownership, establish the tithe, witness, and then get out of debt. And we won't go through all of these, but those are the things I said concerning getting into debt, what debt does to you. All right? Now, then we finished up last week by saying we should eliminate non-essential expenditures. Don't waste your money. Be very careful how you spend it if you expect God to undertake for you in a crisis. Today we want to start with the third point, and that is to avoid get-rich-quick schemes. Now, we talked about that before, but I, we're talking about how to manage money, and a lot of times money just doesn't go far enough. And many Christians say, how can I finally get on my feet and get established? May I encourage you with one thing? The Scripture says that the servant, the servant shall be master. You get down, and God will raise you up. The servant will be master. If you'll serve, then you'll come into leadership. And uh, if you want to find an area where a Christian can expect God's blessing on it, find an area of work, of physical work or service work, that will serve other people's needs. Now, I say that because I've found in the past that many Christians, all they can think of, the only aspect of work to them and income to them is to go and find a job somewhere and sit down and become the servant of someone else 
and say, how can I possibly keep this job? Oh, I might, if I work for another six months, I'll get a 10 cent an hour raise or 25 cent an hour raise. Let me assure you that will never bring you into prosperity. May I just shake your thinking a little bit today and get you to begin to open your mind a little bit further and realize that God might have something much greater for you? Think upon the abilities or the talents that you do have, no matter how seemingly insignificant or menial they might be, and ask God to show you some area where you might begin to use those talents. Let me give you an example. I know of a young man that was up in St. Paul, Minnesota, when we were in college. He was attending the seminary, and he was barely making it through. He didn't know how he was going to make it through the year. He had a job where he was loading trucks every night, half the night. But when summertime came, they didn't need him anymore, and he didn't know what to do. And finally he said, you know what? My dad and I painted two or three houses when we were younger. My dad taught me how to paint houses. He said, I know what I'm going to do, honey. He said to his wife, I'm going to go out and see if I can find someone here in the neighborhood that needs their house painted. And he went down the street, and he found an elderly couple who uh, needed their house painted. And he said, look, I won't charge you. I know I've gone around to find out how much it costs to get houses painted. He said, I'll paint it for X number of dollars. Uh, way less than what another house painter would paint it for. And they said, well, we really need to get it done. Why don't you go ahead and do it? So while he was doing it, he made up a little sign and stuck it in the front yard and said, young seminarian is a painting this house. If you need your house painted, contact me. And people came along, and before long that house started looking so much better. He was scraping and working out there all day, and uh, it started looking better, and people came over from the other houses and said, boy, you're doing a good job in this house. He said, well, he said, I'll be glad to come and give you a bid on your house. He said, I'm doing it for way less than what others are doing it for. And you know, he was there for several days, and it wasn't long before people came over and said, will you come give me a bid on my house? Will you come? It was after about two weeks, he said he was booked up for the summer painting all summer. Now, he's just going to try to find some way to make some extra money, and if he had gone out and gotten another job for 3 or $4 an hour, he wouldn't have done as well as he would have contracting his own jobs in painting. Now, he never thought about painting, making a living of painting. He's out in the ministry today, but he found out that people want people who will do quality work in the area of service. Maybe you have a gift of wallpapering without wallpapering the doors over, you know, and covering up the windows or whatever it is. I was over at a interior decorating place, and the lady was on the phone calling this wallpaper and said, uh, you, please, I really am in desperate need. I, I've got to have you here tomorrow. Well, there's just no way. What am I going to do? I, this job is so important to me. I really do need you. When she hung up, I said, do you have trouble finding good wallpapers? She said, if I could find good wallpapers and have them on hand, I could keep them busy continuously. I said, really? I thought, you know, that's just a confirmation of what I'm saying right here. If somebody went into wallpapering business, knew how to do it, would go out and contract before long, if other people heard about it, it wouldn't take long. You could be in business for yourself. Now, some of you say, yeah, but what about my insurance? What about this? What about this? Well, again, I'm saying, I'm just trying to jar you a little bit. Maybe you should stay right where you are in your job and then, you know, moonlight a little bit. Say, I'll take this job and then I'll just take one job a week or whatever. It might just an extra night for extra income if you're saying, I'm just not getting ahead. You know, just about time we make ends meet, some idiot comes along and moves the end out a little further. And I know that becomes very frustrating for you because everything goes up except salary. But I'm trying to get you to realize that in the area of service, there's money available. Lawn maintenance. I mean, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go talk to the bottom kids. I mean, they, they're finding this is, this is tough. Go talk to David Ware. 
He wanted a little extra money, and, and uh, he said, Dad, no mun, no fun, your son. And his dad said, so sad, too bad, your dad. Go find some way to, to earn your own money. And he went down the street, and before long, he's making $18, $20 a week, I understand already, just a couple yards down the street. You say, but yeah, but that isn't white collar. That's all right. Ring around the collar doesn't hurt anyone if it's honestly made, no matter what television tells you. But there's a real need today for people in the service areas, getting out and just putting a little work to them. Work, you know, like I said, there's some people today that don't understand what that word means. But hard work, God said, will bring prosperity. I can give you an example. When I was in Bible college, I was working at a restaurant, but I wasn't making enough money. And I heard about a janitorial job coming up, and I went over and looked at it. It was for Pillsbury Mills, one of their big offices. And I looked at the job, this big office that must have been just about twice as long as this auditorium right now. About the same width, but twice as long. Just rows of desks, and they had been paying him, a young man for 20 hours a week. And I went in and looked the whole thing over. He had done a lousy job. He had spliced wax up on the walls, wrapped mops around, wax mops around the desk legs and everything else. Just did a bad job, and he wouldn't come faithfully to the job. Well, I thought, well, I can do one or two things. I can go in and get an hourly job, or I can go in and just say, hey, you provide all the supplies, all the equipment and everything, and I'll just contract with you for X number of hours a week, whether it takes me that long or not, if it takes me more, fine, if it takes me less, fine, with one exception, twice a year, I will call in help and we'll do a complete job all the way down, stripping all the floors and everything, and uh, you'll pay extra at that time. They said, fine. So they contracted me as though I was going to work 20 hours a week, and I was able to work that down to work. It took me about six hours or seven hours a week maximum. So it wasn't on an hourly wage. I could buzz over there and in two hours clean up that whole office and be out of there, and they supplied everything. Now, if I would have wanted to and would have had the time, then I could have gotten a very good recommendation from them because they just kept saying, boy, this is fantastic. Just keep up the good work. But I could have gone to other offices with a recommendation from them, and before long I could have had my own janitorial business. And, you know, it doesn't hurt you. I enjoyed it. It was a good break. I'm just simply saying I don't know what area it might be that you're going to, that you might think of doing these things, but if you do it, do it well. More people will tell me today the problem is you can't get anything done decently anymore. How many of you have heard someone say that to you? Can't get anything done well anymore. If you're going to be a mechanic, be absolutely sure you do the very best. Electrician, be absolutely sure that you do the very best so that when you walk away from there, you've got a good rec recommendation from them. I don't care if it's scrubbing houses down. I keep seeing this ad to this lady, this picture of this lady in the paper all the time that goes from house to house and cleans houses. And I imagine she gets into some grimy, grimy problems. But she's got a service organization going, and now she has to keep hiring more ladies and more ladies to help her. So just think a little bit. Lord, what talent do I have? Where could I go out? And I'm not talking about whether you do it on the piece, uh, by a piecemeal thing, or you, you do it on an hourly wage, but I'm talking about where you can go to someone and say, look, I will take care of this situation for X number of dollars. Contract. You might, you might lose your shirt on the first one or two until you learn just exactly how much is involved, but you get smart before long. It might take you a while, but there's an opportunity for you to do it. But the scripture says, and here's a biblical principle I'm bringing this out on, 1 Corinthians 10.31. 1 Corinthians 10.31. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Read it with me. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, 
do all to the glory of God. When you do that job, when you take that contract, you don't do it in order to please the person that gave you the contract. You do it as unto the Lord. Lord, are you pleased with this job? Well, if I did it as unto him and please him, I'd lose money. Lose money. I told you before of Stanley Tam, who went into the business of reclaiming silver from film. And there came a time when it was just a few cents, 30 cents or a dollar or something like that. He had overcharged each one of his customers. And the Lord said to him, send every one of them a check with a letter of explanation and apologize to them. And he said, Lord, it will cost me three times that much just to send the letter. The Lord says, do it for my glory. And he sent it out and said, we want to apologize. We overcharge you. You know, his business literally boomed after that because people said, hey, we found someone who is absolutely honest even when it costs them something. Do it as under the Lord. If it's doing lawn maintenance, it isn't, well, can I hide this over here in the corner? Do I, can I, you know, no, do it as under the Lord. When you walk away, you say, Lord, I just give you thanks and praise for helping me to do this the way I did it. And I can assure you success will come. Do you know that? Any business that you're in, if, you, if nobody can criticize you, do you know what destroys more people in business today? They say, have, do you have any references? Let me call the Better Business Bureau. And the Better Business Bureau says, are you kidding? Let me just read them to you. All these complaints. But if they got no complaints whatsoever and you had letters of recommendation from other people up and down the street and people say, well, go over and look at this job I did, go look at that job I did, before long, people would be knocking at your door for business. When I was in church bond work up in Minnesota, I can still remember church after church after church I went to. After I had about 10 successful bond programs, they had other companies come in and talk to the churches that were going to have bond programs, and I would walk in and present it. The other company had all kinds of material, all kinds of literature, everything you could think of. I looked at their literature and looked at my stuff, and I thought, oh, boy. But all I'd do is say, look, don't, don't ask me about it. Just call the other churches where I've had bond programs. If they're not satisfied... Don't have me. If they're satisfied, then think about me. And it got to a place I didn't even have to go out and talk to churches anymore. They'd call and say, Pastor Webb, we've heard about you and the work you've done. Will you please come and talk to us about a bond program? We want you to direct it. Now, I know that these things do work. And if we want to prosper, God says he'll, he'll cause us to prosper if we'll put these biblical principles in order. The fourth thing in managing your money. First of all, before you go out and buy something, give God a chance. Give God a chance to provide it first. You have a need? Just tell him about it. Now, I'm, I, I want to stop on that for a moment because many, many times people say, I have a need, and they go and tell everybody, I have a need. Oh, I'm really believing God's going to do this. I'm really trusting the Lord's going to take care. I, you know, I really need this, and, and uh, will you pray with me about this because I'm asking God for this. And they'll go on and on and on to where everybody says, do you know that such and such has a need? And what does the word say? It says, go into your closet and you ask your heavenly father in secret and your heavenly father who heareth in secret shall what? Reward you openly. You know, if we go around and tell everybody in the world what our need is and that we're short a little bit of money or we can't meet this bill or that bill, then somebody else can, can meet that need and, and we've missed the blessing of seeing where God, just telling him God can meet that need. Give God a chance at least to provide that first of all for us. I can still remember some years back when we had an old cooling tower for our air conditioner right outside our bedroom window. It threw, made so much noise out there, it rattled and clattered, and it was all rusty, and I kept saying, Lord, you know, you know, Lord, you take care of it. I don't know what we're going to do. 
But you know, and once in a while it would all rust and fall down into the water, the, the fan and everything. We'd have to pick it up and put it up again. The motor burned out. We got another motor and put it in there. And it, it just got to the place where the sides were beginning to cave in on the thing. And I said, Lord, you know. And I didn't have the finances right then to go out and get one. I said, Lord, if you'll just provide the finances, you'll show me some way to get the finances, and we'll do, we'll do something on the cooling towel. And I just committed it to the Lord, and finally the thing fell down in there, and we couldn't use it anymore. The next day I said, okay, Lord, I guess you want us to open the windows and just go, ha, ah, all summer, you know. But I said, if you've got a, some means for us to get it, you show us. So I was down in Winter Park, and I was visiting a businessman down there, and he and I were talking about a Bible study. And as I was standing out behind the building, I said, what is that thing out there behind your building? Look new. He said, that's a cooling tower. I said, for an air conditioner? He said, yes. I said, you have the same type thing that, of air conditioner I have. He said, well, not anymore. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he says, we actually are going to get rid of that thing out there because we've just changed over to another type of air conditioning system. I said, you're going to get rid of it? I said, uh, are you going to sell it? He said, well, I don't know. We're going to get rid of it. I said, well, could I buy it from you? He said, you need a cooling tower? I said, yeah, I think we kind of need one. But, uh, and I said, I had no idea, of course, where to look for one. And he said, well, hey, if you need one, you get it. Come and get it. And it's yours. I said, you're kidding. He said, no, it's yours. I said, no, let me buy it from you. No, no, no. He said, man, if you can use that, that's fantastic. Just come and get it and take it home. Man, I couldn't have gone out and bought a cooling tower as nice as that cooling tower was. I could have looked all year and wouldn't found one as nice and as complete as that one was. It just didn't look like it had been used at all. And see, I could have strained and struggled and gone out and tried to find extra money and everything else, but sometimes God says, give me a chance. Tell him you're trusting him first for it. And as I told you now, God deals differently with different people. Other men and young fellows in Bible college would pray for money, God would send them money. I prayed for money, God would send me another job. I worked two and three jobs when I was in Bible college. I used to say, Lord, isn't there any extra money out there at all you can send me, you know? But he had his own way of doing it. So if you really need something, begin to ask him to provide it or to provide the means for you to be able to make the money to get it. And he'll do it. The scripture tells us in 2 Chronicles 16.9, a beautiful promise. 2 Chronicles 16.9. If you have never underscored it, you underscore it now because it's a tremendous blessing. 2 Chronicles 16.9. 2 Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself what? Strong on the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. God says, you know something? I'm looking all over the earth continuously to find someone that loves me, someone that is faithful to me, someone whose heart is perfect toward me, to just show them my power. Second Chronicles 16.9. God says, if you only knew how many times I would love to provide for you if you'd just trust me. Give God a chance to provide it first. Number five. Never put God in a financial corner. You say, Brother Webb, what do you mean by that? Well, sometimes there is a vast difference, and some people don't see it, a vast difference between faith and presumption. Faith is based upon the promises of God's Word. Presumption is based, is based upon our assumptions of what we think God is thinking. And many, many times I find that it's very easy to jump over into the flesh. The faith is divine and presumption is fleshly. And it's forcing God's hand many times and putting God in a corner. 
Now, I say that because I've, I've had many, many times where I've had Christians say, well, I'm just believing God for this, and I'm going to write a check and let it go. And I'll just believe God's going to have the money there when, they, when the check comes due. Hey, that's, number one, it's illegal. How many of you know that's illegal, huh? If you ever want to do that, you just better make sure you've got a definite rhema from the Lord. God says, write that check. And everybody else in the church shakes, you know, when he says it, so you know that it came from God. Because I'll tell you, there are many, many people today that are in the, in the financial circles that say, I don't like to do business with a lot of Christian people because what they call faith isn't faith at all. It's presumption. And then they get themselves in a mess and somebody they expect the world to get them out of this mess. It's very, very hard. But I think we need to always give God alternatives. Don't put him in a corner. Can you imagine if Peter would have said to the tax collector, tomorrow... The Lord is going to give me some work, and I'll bring the gold to you to pay for his taxes and mine. And wouldn't have given Jesus any alternative. But Peter said, Jesus said, Peter, go down to the water down there and throw in a hook. And, and the first fish that you catch will have a gold coin in its mouth, and you bring that and pay the taxes. Well, I tell you, I haven't found that first fish in my lake, but it... <laughs> Giving God the alternative. Can you imagine what the disciples would have, how much time they would have wasted had they sat around and tried to figure out how much money it would have taken to have fed the 5,000? They actually said, Lord, we've, we've pooled all of our money. We've checked it out even with Judas, and he's got the money pot, and there's just no way with the distance and the problems that's involved and, and the time that's involved for us to get enough money to feed all these people. And then once we got the money to go and buy the food for everybody. The other one spoke up and said, well, here's one kid with five loaves and two fishes. Maybe we can, uh, uh, you know, split. Well, no, that wouldn't work either unless just we're going to eat, you know, and we're just going to have a snack. I'll guarantee you it wouldn't go very far if some of the men in this church, five loaves and two fishes, wouldn't even make a dent. Jesus said, well, I don't have any hamburger helper, but I've got some Holy Ghost helper. Just bring those loaves and fishes to me. And they gave Jesus an alternative, and Jesus Christ not only provided for them, but afterwards they gathered up baskets full of bread and fish. But they never put God in a corner. Don't do that to the Lord, and then blame the Lord because he failed when you presumed that he was going to do something one way or another. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Now, that's just plain Christian common sense. Uh, Hudson Taylor said God's work done in God's way will not lack for financial support. God's work done in God's way will not lack for financial support. And I believe that that is true. You know, I, there, this is the one thing I've always appreciated about Bill Gothard's seminar. Bill Gothard has never sent out a letter to any of us asking for money. He has never advertised in the Christian magazines, we need support. He has just ministered and ministered and ministered and ministered, and God has brought him the receipt. You know, there have been some weeks that they've literally sent thousands upon thousands of dollars back to people because the people said, your ministry is such a blessing to me, I'm sending you my tithe. And he said, not here, you're not. Take this tithe back and take it to your local church. One man said, well, I've got about $6,000 in tithes that I've saved up, and that'd be too much for our church. He says, take it back. And he said, maybe the pastor will appreciate it if you bring him $6,000 worth of tithes to help pay some of the needs of the church. Well, I just thought I should give it to you. He said, no, that's not scriptural. The tithe goes into your storehouse. 
where you're fed and where you have fellowship. Now, he, he held up biblical principles and he's not suffered for it. How many of you know he hasn't suffered for it? <laughs> God has blessed him. He, he is trying to keep to biblical principles and accordingly, God's work done in God's way will not lack for financial support. I want to read to you a confession that David made in the Living Bible. It's this, this way. And I want it to become your confession. Psalm 59, 10. Psalm 59, 10. Will you turn to it? It says, The God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon mine enemies. I like the Living Bible there where it says, My God is changeless in his love for me, and he will come and help me. Make that your confession. My God is changeless in his love for me, and he will come and help me. But don't limit him. Don't put him in a corner and say, God, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it now, and you're going to do it this way. His ways are not our ways, and his ways are so far above our ways that afterwards we realize, I'm so glad, Lord, you didn't do it my way. You say, but if I waited for God to do it his way, it'd never get done the way I wanted to get done. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let me tell you something. It may look as though it's better to do it your way, but in the long run, when all the facts come in and the, the tractor and the harrow is put back in the barn, you'll find out that God's way is always the best way. Don't put God in a corner. But let's believe that if we'll follow these biblical principles that God will honor us for. All right? These truths this morning, avoid get-rich-quick schemes, give God a chance to provide it first, and never put God in a financial corner. Begin to establish those principles, and you'll find that it will work. And I hope that maybe I've just challenged you a little bit to realize that if you'll open your mind up a little bit before the Lord and ask him how you might be a servant to others, that God might open up an, a field of income and financial success for you that you never even dreamed possible before. And it doesn't have to be some specialized field either. It's just something that no one else wants to do. You know, I didn't think about this till just now, but there is a man and his son who have come around our house about three times now. And do you know what they do for business? They don't want to work for anyone else. They come around and just say, uh, Mr. For X number of dollars, I'll go out there and clean out your whole shoreline. Get all those bushes, all those weeds out. You know, a lot of people wouldn't want to be involved in that at all. But he says he keeps very busy just going around and cleaning up lakeshore beaches. Now, I wouldn't have thought of that. Of course, my first thought would be there's water moccasins out there and there's mush and ooze all over that bottom and there's weeds that tangle around my legs and, you know. Didn't bother them. See, they said, no one else is doing it. I can do it. I used to feel sorry for a man in my hometown years ago in Nebraska when it was just a little podunk center. That man went out and collected garbage. Another old retired man had a trailer on the back of his car, and he went around and collected the garbage cans from about eight or ten people in the neighborhood and took them all out to the dump and dumped them once a week. And that was his added income that he got that no one else wanted to do. And he just thought it was great. He not only did that, when he came back, he'd wash out the cans and clean them up and bring them back to the people all nice and clean. How many of you have had your garbage cans scrubbed out lately? Okay. Just that little extra thing that he thought of that brought him that extra income. But that man that I used to feel sorry for, the collected garbage, I didn't know that he also took the scrap metal out of it and got a lot of good things out of that garbage. He was one of the wealthiest guys in town. You know why? He became a servant 
to do things that other people weren't willing to do. And he made money. People are willing to pay for what they aren't willing to do. You know that? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all found that one place of service that the Lord wanted us so we could just tell our employer, hey, hang it up. God's given me something better. Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) Praise the Lord. Father, stimulate our imagination by the Holy Spirit to see that you said that if we will be servants, if we'll just be servants, that you'll make us be leaders. We love you this morning and thank you for the renewing life that comes to us, the renewed life in Jesus Christ, to where suddenly we've been quickened and made alive and that you want to lead us and guide us and direct us and give us insight every day. It isn't just that past experience, but a daily walk, and you said you want to prosper us. Lord, help us to begin to operate by biblical principles and expect you to prosper us. Minister to our spirits this morning and cause this time of fellowship as a body of believers to, to be exciting in the things of the Lord. And cause us to be drawn closer together as as believers in Jesus Christ to where the world will look at us and be able to tell that we've been with Jesus. Minister to our spirits and cause us, Lord, tonight to just be excited about the things that you're doing in the lives of our young people, the future church. Father, I pray that you'll put on our hearts to be here and to pray and to encourage and uplift our young people and thank God for them and and then let them know how much we appreciate them. Lord, I pray that it might be an opportunity for us to invite others out that will begin to see that our young people have something that many churches do not express through their young people. I thank you for every one of our young people and our children this morning. Thank you, Lord, there was a time in this church when we as a family prayed and said, Lord, please send us young people. Please send us children in this church. I thank you for the answers to that prayer. Now, Lord, help us to be the encouragement and the strength to them that we need to be as believers, knowing that in the days ahead, they're the future church. And as we encourage them in the days ahead, we're going to see them go out into the ministry and come back rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with them. Minister to our spirits today and give us protection and watch care over us in Jesus' name. Amen. on the conviction, my money is a trust from God, part of the ten basic convictions that Bill Gothard placed in his men's manual, and the eighth conviction is my money is a trust from God and must be earned and managed according to scriptural principle. Those of you that are visiting this morning, you're coming in at the latter end of a long series of messages on the ten basic convictions that uh, every man must teach his family in order to protect them from the destructive influences of wrong desires, false philosophies, and satanic temptations. Now, in this series, we've been talking about basic factors determining financial freedom. And this is where we've gone. We said the first one was giving, the second one was receiving, the third one was spending, and then we talked about how we were to spend transferring ownership, establishing the tithe, witnessing every day, finding opportunities to witness for Christ, and getting out of debt. When we talked about getting out of debt, we said, first of all, 
get rid of, don't buy on credit. Now, I'm not talking, there, there are some people in business, and I don't want them to misunderstand this. I know in business for record keeping many times, it's almost vital to have, so that you don't have to carry a lot of cash with you, some credit cards in order to do business where you can pay it every month. But I'm talking about the situation where the credit card becomes an escape mechanism to keep you from facing the reality of the fact that you, your outgo is exceeding your income and your upkeep is becoming your downfall. For you allow that to become a crutch for you to live the way you want to live above and beyond your means and get deeper and deeper in debt, that is wrong. The second thing uh, is to eliminate non-essential expenditures. Third, to avoid get-rich-quick schemes. And we talked about getting in, if you needed extra money, to find an area of service work. Contract with people. I'll do your lawn. I'll paint your house. I'll fix your car. I'll wire your whatever. Find some way. I'll wallpaper your house, or I'll, I'll scrub down your walls, or I'll, I'll, I'll wash off your roof, or I'll, whatever needs to be done. Find some place where you, instead of doing it by the hour, you can go out and contract to do it in the area of service, things that other people don't want to do. Clean up lakes or, you know, rake out ditches, whatever it has to be done. Something that somebody else doesn't want to do and you're willing to do, become a servant, and it becomes an area where you can make money above and beyond what you can do if you go and work and become employed by someone else. And then the next thing we talked about was giving God a chance to provide it first. And uh, we talked about how many times we miss a blessing because we don't allow God to have the opportunity to provide something for us. Instead, we feel like we've got to do it all ourselves. And then never put God in a financial corner is where we ended up this last time. Don't put God in a financial corner. God knows our needs, and he does not want us to presume and say, well, I just believe God's going to do it, and we write a check ahead of time and say, now, God, you're going to have to cover it or else. Don't do that. That's presumption, and there's a difference between faith and presumption. And uh, it, you'll find out what it is when you come to the end result of presumption. Presumption usually falls flat on its face. Faith never fails. And faith is always based upon the reality of God's Word. It's never contrary to God's Word. 